Uh, he convened the Fourth uh, Lateran Council, uh, the most important church council of the Middle Ages. It issued 70 reformatory degrees, of which Canon 69 uh, meant that uh, Jews <laughs> nice. weren't allowed to have public office. Oh, Since that nice. offers them the pretext to vent their wrath against the oh, Christians. God damn it. Blue, you walked into it. <laughs> I'm so sorry that Canon 69 is the opposite of nice. Damn you, Pope Innocent III. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I am Blue, and I'm joined by Red. I'm sleepy. And I have bad internet today, so yeah. we're, we're both doing all right. Uh, first up, before we get uh, too far into the show here, this episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast is brought to you by World Anvil. World Anvil, Whoa. of course, as many of you are familiar, is a browser-based writing and world-building software designed to help you write and world-build, as well as GM and play tabletop RPGs, all while keeping your work organized and in one place. It is a fantastic product that we are happy to have been sponsoring on the channel for many years. With over 25 uh, article templates, plus 45 supported game systems, and the ability to make your own, World Anvil has all the tools you need to organize that world you've been building in your mind and put it on the page into the stories of your dreams. We've got adaptable wikis, interactive maps, custom timelines, and the Chronicle system, which lets you put timelines and maps together, which is cool as hell and super useful, great for writers and GMs. Uh, once your world is sorted exactly how you'd like, you can use the powerful built-in word processor to write your prose within easy reach of all your notes or use custom character sheets right in your tabletop games so you can get lost in your character without getting lost in your track of items and spells because yeah. ain't that a pain we all know too well. Interested? Of course you are. And it only gets better because World Anvil is offering a special discount for all you lovely listeners. Just use code overly sarcastic for 40% off any yearly membership. Thanks again to World Anvil for sponsoring today's podcast. I love that that interested, of course you are, is in every version of the copy, and it's only because Indigo wrote it one time, and we're like, we gotta keep it. It's, and it remains I this true. Copy on the Rolling with Difficulty copy, because World Anvil is also very generously often a sponsor of that podcast. It's a great tool. Check it out. Because of yeah. course you're interested, as implied yeah. <laughs> by the ending of the copy. Interested. Of course, of course you are. You are. Just imagine right, like seventeen. Like give me like seventeen <laughs> yeah. different grunts. Give me I, seventeen <laughs> different reads of interested. Of course interested. you are. I'm gonna need to interested. get like five subdued. Uh, <laughs> no, give me four oh, reads of Sasuke. Interested? <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> oh god damn it! <laughs> interested. Okay, we're silly today. <laughs> Yeah, we uh, we had a lot of stuff going on. We got back from uh, from BidCon a week ago. We had a wonderful experience mm. of seeing our friends uh, Dominic and Kaluna and uh, tasting history with Max Miller. Super fun. Yeah, um, we got to check. So we it got out. to go hit the town a couple times, see one of our friends from high school. Uh, we were hoping to to try to get a, a speaking arrangement for, for VidCon East. So if uh, any of you are planning on going to VidCon Baltimore, submit us as featured creators because we really want to speak. <laughs> Please. <laughs> it's not as fun when you don't get to speak. No. Yeah, <laughs> we you really know enjoy how... presenting. Yeah, you know what we're like as people. <laughs> this whole thing is because we won't shut up. <laughs> Enable Pathologically us. need to hear our own voices. So if, if you're interested in seeing us on the East Coast, submit us because we'd love to come are. see you. Of course <laughs> you are. Of course you exactly. are. <laughs> it's perfect copy and I will take no notes. And on it only subject. gets better from here. <laughs> <laughs> 
Scout if you submit us, we'll excitement. shake your hand personally at VidCon. Guarantee. Oh, no, <laughs> Completely no. unenforceable guarantee. <laughs> We're being COVID safe. Uh, yeah, I'm a, only like a, a responsible of the way wave coffee, and maybe explain. fist bump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the extent of it. We'll let anyway. Head nod. Yeah. Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> We're making it happen. We did like 20 minutes of logistics before we got on this call. We're having fun. But uh, Red, <laughs> let, let's talk about some of the videos that we put up on the channel, the YouTube channel, the stated purpose of our show here, the Overly uh-huh. Sarcastic Podcast. Yeah, Who the do you thing want to start with, me or you? Probably you, chronologically. <laughs> Perfect. Let's go back in time. So yeah. uh, after we went to New Zealand for Hello Future Me's wedding, mm-hmm. uh, me, a madman, uh, did not go back east uh, with Red and Cyan. Uh, I instead went west from Christchurch to Singapore, and then from Singapore to London. Uh, <laughs> a long journey, uh, passed into I, the I West, got, the Undying yeah. Lands. Uh, then I got a, the Great Western Rail uh, to go hang out with my dad and some some family friends uh, in South Coastal Wales, which was lovely and very fun. And while we were there, we went to go see Big Pit, which is the Ooh. name of the biggest coal mine in Wales, no longer functioning as a coal mine because they decommissioned them in like 1998 or something. Um, but it's now oh. a museum full <laughs> of actual coal miners. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was running what? until very recently. I'm sorry, wait. Museum full of actual coal miners? So they, this one was was decommissioned in, in 98. I think there are other coal mines that were still kind of like working or, around afterwards. Um, but everyone who was a guide at this, this museum, Big Pit, is a former coal miner. So it's all guides who've actually been like in this stuff. So it's really huh. cool. They say they get paid more as guides than they did as miners. Of course. Oh, like, I'm sorry. Right, guys. <laughs> Working in the mines wasn't profitable. <laughs> well, it's not extracting a physical resource. So, you know, it's it's like, it's nice that the service industry is able to actually pay people well. It's like, oh, it's a good thing God. that they don't have to cough up dust all the time. It's This is progress. I love the but, shift um, from like what uh, what various countries in the world used to do to tourism about what the various countries in the world used to do. Yeah. Now that globalization has kind of changed the game. Yeah, uh, I but, say um, having gone to Iceland <laughs> for the volcano and fish tourism. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, boy. So, but yes, the so video that, that you made. Yeah. There was a video. And then, in this. later that day, uh, <laughs> I went to uh, Castle, Carfilly Castle. Uh, oh. And as I walked through the main gate and got the little guidebook, I'm like, oh, oh, this needs to be a video. This absolutely <laughs> has to be a video. This place fucking rules. Um, so, of course, as soon as I, I got back, I got through all my other videos. So I'm like, all right, castles, let's go. Um, <laughs> and I had a fun time putting that together because the that castle on its own does not necessarily warrant an entire video's worth about it because it is a little too niche on its own, lacking the broader context. But also, I didn't want to talk about every single castle in like England and Wales because that's almost too broad. Um, so I, I feel bit. like I was able to to thread the needle between like, okay, like here's the deal with like Norman castles in general, and then funnel us down to Welsh castles in particular, and then specifically Southern Welsh castles at Caerphilly in particular. <laughs> and I, I like the way I was able to kind of pull the threads together because there was a lot of very specific and esoteric history about Gilbert de Clare, the guy who built the castle, and what he was up to, and the reasons he got like softly excommunicated. Oops, um, it, it was fine. The, the, the later Pope was like, you're, you're fine. Um, usually the thing with excommunications is you just have to ride out the Pope who excommunicated you and hope that the next guy will like you more. Um, it's 
it's it's wild. Uh, uh, whenever Venice got basically excommunicated en masse by the Pope, it's like, it's okay, he'll die in 10 years, we just gotta ride this out, we'll be fine, it's fine. It's kind of um, nice that some political but, things just never change. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, but I, I like being able to, to talk not so specifically of like, and then this happened, and then this other guy showed up and did this. There's this whole side plot um, with this guy, Hugh Dispenser, and his son, also named Hugh Dispenser. And they were just a bunch of right bastards who had the king's ear and were in charge of like the like chancellery or some nonsense and basically managed to funnel a whole bunch of royal wealth into Carfilly Castle. So when the king's estranged wife came back from France and like kicked him out and it was like, no, you guys get out. She went to Carfilly and was like, oh, this is where all the royal jewels are. Great. These are going back to London. Um, <laughs> she put a so couple a coins in the extra... Hugh dispenser, it sounds like. Yeah, boo. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know uh, if I made a joke about them being dispensed with or if that was in a cut of the script that was too specific and I didn't end up using uh, it but okay. I, uh, I, I like being able to talk about yeah uh, I like being able to talk about the uh, the kind of history of castles in, in general leading to a very very specific example here because not only was Carefilly the only castle that I was able to go to uh, Cardiff Castle was closed um, but it is a really good wow. example of the concentric style where it's walls within walls within walls where it's not just like okay you're a, a kind of wooden palisade on a man-made hill it is like deliberate masonry construction specifically designed to be redundant so that it is more defensive than just having one wall and you really start to see like the mental process of like how do we make this as robust a structure as possible so that no matter what people throw at it it's not going to go down mm -hmm. and it's, it's cool to see that process play out um there are other castles further in the north that are much more uh complex um, mechanically uh, because they were built by King Edward after the campaigns were done. So it's like, okay, we've got all the money in the world because it's the king's money. Um, <laughs> uh, and we don't have to worry about like anyone actively firing at us as we build it so we can take our time and make them a little bit nicer. Uh, so there are some castles in the north that have like specific banded stone motifs where it's like pale stone and then like a colored layer and then pale stone and a colored layer and then pale stone Ooh. again, which That's is kind of like an homage to the, the walls of Constantinople, which were um, banded colored stone. So it's oh, like, so cool. you know, the king saw this on crusade and he was like, I want those, but for my house, and it came back <laughs> and built one of those castles in the north. So I don't know if it's, um, if it's Conwy Castle or, um, one of the other ones, because there's Harlech, Conwy, uh, oh, and I can't remember the other two off the top of my head because I'm a uh, bad historian and all these names blend in my mind. He but, said after uh, rattling off five uninterrupted minutes of correct castle facts. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not the castle names that I get correctly. It's the two that I forget that are going to kill me. Um, but uh, yeah, so th those were really fun and I enjoyed being able to talk about that. Um, mm -hmm. It was good. It's, good uh, it's an very, interesting... Very uh, yeah. As somebody who's never been to Europe, it's still kind of weird to me that, like, castles are just a real thing fucking everywhere. <laughs> that, like, that's just a that's just a thing that, that they have up there. Well, Morris and Karen are friends. That's what they are. Okay, sorry. Oh, <laughs> good, cool. They sound like secondary characters in the Black Cauldron, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm definitely one of those sorry, people who Red, I struggle, <laughs> I struggle I like, conceiving of things as, like, real places if I've never been there. So the fact that Europe is just fucking lousy with castles is very cool mm -hmm. but not really something that my brain processes but until recently yeah. I'd never been to like LA and Disneyland before either and I was definitely having the exact same like oh yeah intellectually I knew this existed but practically 
uh, it just didn't really click. So, okay, it's weird. I was just like, oh, I saw the Defunct Land video about that and then just moved on with my life. But yes, uh, Castles are I can't very, believe very they cool. made the Defunct Land video into a real thing. OMG, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Um, Some people yeah, were mentioning that uh, Germany has more castles than Wales because it has like like 4,000, I want to say, or like 2,000-something, which is, is true. It has more. But also, Germany's huge compared to Wales. So by density, mm. Wales is by far the most. Yeah. I don't know if this is accurate, but the uh, the impression I got is that Germany and its relationship with its castles and kingdoms and stuff is kind of like the real root of the fairy tale stereotype of like, oh, rescue the princess and you shall gain half my kingdom. And it's like half your kingdom is like one sixty fourth of Germany because uh, there were five <laughs> yeah, million kinda. castles everywhere and five million little regional kings. Yeah. And, you know, the Grimm's, the Brothers Grimm and and almost all the fairy tales that they were collecting were from that area. So it kind of makes sense that that would color the the stories that they were mostly getting. But, you know, that's always whenever you you expand the concept of the the fairy tale castle and the fairy tale king and princess it's 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 germany they have 4000 yeah. castles cuz they had 4000 kings princesses and half the kingdoms to give out uh, pretty much i can't i can't speak to that being 100% accurate cuz that i think this is like a half remembered oh i think i found this while researching yeah, once but it sounds correct that's, that's never that's gone wrong as, <laughs> yeah. as far as i'm aware that that sounds roughly correct um, right yeah, we, yeah we've never uh, spoken of the dangers of that could be right <laughs> that that sounds correct but i don't know enough to dispute it anyway no, germany subject, being a million tiny kingdoms for that most was, of its history is is absolutely yeah. factual <laughs> perfect good i knew i yeah. was getting that from somewhere uh but, yeah. But on the subject of a thing that I actually researched, uh, the uh, the video that I put yes. out in the last couple weeks, or rather, like, a few days ago as of time of recording, was about Pinocchio last plots. Last Friday. Which was, I, yeah, well, well, it was interesting because, like, I kind of didn't realize it was as niche as it was. Uh, there were a bunch of comments that were like, it's fun when Red starts a video with a trope that I've never heard of, and then as she continues, I'm like, oh, I know what she's talking about, and think of stories where the, that was a thing. And I was like, I didn't... I didn't think the Pinocchio plot was not self-explanatory. This is kind of cool. Uh, because, of course, it's about, you know, this character who is not human but has the, oh, I wish to be a real boy kind of thing. And uh, I kind of figured that was sort of a ubiquitous thing that people just were aware of, especially because we just finished the year of the three Pinocchio movies. But, yeah, I had a lot of fun. A large part of that video was obviously devoted to Del Toro's Pinocchio movie, which I saw pretty much as soon as it came out and was deeply affected by because it's a really good movie. <laughs> um, man, uh, I saw some discussion about that, actually, because uh, a lot of people were, like, disagreeing with the idea in the movie that death is what makes a person a real boy. And I think... That was actually like intentional. That was like a, that was probably a point of the movie because by the end of the movie, Pinocchio's back to being immortal and nobody indicates that this is a bad thing or makes him like less of a person. Um, the uh, uh, the ending narration from the perspective of the cricket actually says like, uh, will, he, will he someday die? Yeah, maybe. And maybe that makes him a real boy, but it's really indicated that like, that's not super the point. Uh, which I thought was interesting because it's the second Pinocchio movie that year that didn't end with Pinocchio becoming a real boy, but the other one was the Disney cash grab live action remake that nobody liked, and it felt like Pinocchio <laughs> didn't become a real boy in that movie because the movie didn't want to exist. <laughs> um, so, that seems like a trend among the Disney live action remakes, doesn't it? <laughs> I can't imagine why. They're so yeah. poignant and profound. But anyway, yeah, uh, so 
I think it was kind of interesting that it really indicated that you don't need Pinocchio to physically shed his puppet body and become a human real boy uh, for the story to mean something. But if the whole point of the story is that that is going to happen and then it doesn't, that feels like a plot hole. (laughs) Feels a little robbed. Yeah. Red, I do want to give you the chance to talk about the Star Trek story with Data, which you referenced thoroughly in the visuals for... The episode, but didn't uh, actually, I think, even mention uh, yeah. out loud, which led <laughs> to a couple funny comments like me having watched this episode. I know exactly what Red's talking about and I'm filling it in in my mind as I'm seeing the examples pass by. Yes, good. Gotta help anyone who isn't familiar. So, Red, I, uh. this is me giving you the platform that you, you didn't have <laughs> earlier. Please tell us about Star Trek. <laughs> Perfect. Yes, I'm so sorry for the uh, for the, the misstep. I just didn't want to be the person who spent the whole video talking first about the movie I was obsessed with and then about the Star Trek series I was obsessed with. Um, Red, this is overly sarcastic productions. Everyone who's here is here for the exact same reason. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, I 100% agree. Uh, so the primary example uh, that I used for this uh, for, for this video was an episode of uh, TNG, uh, Star Trek TNG, that I believe was called The Offspring, uh, although don't quote me on that. Um, and the premise of that episode is that Data builds himself a kid. Uh, he, he finds a way to replicate his positronic brain and makes the thing a body. And uh, this is, you might have seen screenshots of this going around because he he says something like, I thought I would allow my child to choose their gender. (laughs) And everyone's like, hey, holy shit. Um, (laughs) But uh, uh, so he he raises this kid. And of course, in the process of uh, creating a being that's very much like himself, a lot of examination occurs on what exactly Data is and how he works and how he is different from humanity and how much he acts to like, you know, reduce that to uh, to blend in better with Starfleet. There's a funny little scene that I might have used as an example where he, like, teaches his daughter how to blink uh, because it's a little thing that, like, really kind of helps not creep out the humans, which is also a funny way to cover for the fact that Data is covered, played by a human actor who does need to blink sometimes. Um, oh, that's really fun. Yeah. Uh, and uh, <laughs> that's th- clever. That, yeah, that episode is also uh, heartbreaking because uh, the, uh, the daughter ends up having a critical malfunction that can't be repaired and uh, basically kind of HAL 9000s her way out at the end. Uh, she doesn't go evil, but she does do the same kind of... Uh, her her brain is sort of malfunctioning, so she's sort of regressing back through her memories, and the last words that she says are the first words she said in reverse, so the last thing she says before she shuts down permanently is human. Uh, that hurt when I first watched that episode. Um, this is also when TNG randomly becomes a good show. Like, it's a fun show before that, but we're like four seasons deep, and then suddenly we get Yesterday's Enterprise immediately followed by this episode, and suddenly it's good, and I can't use it as background noise when I work anymore because my brain is forcing me to pay attention. So that's fun. Um, yeah, TNG's a really, really good show, and Data is a very, very good Pinocchio. Uh, he's he's kind of intriguingly self-aware about it because he knows for a fact that he cannot just become a human, and whenever he gets the opportunity, he's like, no, thank you. <laughs> it is the psychological struggle that I crave. Uh, like they, they, hang, they hang out with a few omnipotent aliens that are like, hey, Data, I can turn you into a human being, and he's like, nah, <laughs> that, that wouldn't be fun, uh, which is just really interesting. Um, and he's he's a very, very good example, but I was trying really hard to not just use Data as an example, <laughs> and I clearly failed, <laughs> you know, but whatever, that's, that's fine. Um, but it's a really good example. Every once in a while you have, I don't know what the last trope talk was that I mentioned this, but every once in a while you have a trope 
that is just held up so strongly by one particular example, it's almost academically dishonest to not give it the attention it needs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Next time I'll just bite the bullet and put a paragraph in where I'm like, like data from Star Trek, who I'm way too fixated on. <laughs> <laughs> oh god although i did really like all the people in in the comments who were like oh hey i really like how you tapped into the fact that when you're neurodivergent and you're reading a story like this it hits different and it's like oh yeah mm -hmm. it does <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my god yeah so uh so that was a that was a fun discussion it kind of overlaps with a, a much older trope talk i did a while back on uh robots because of course Ooh, yeah. the, the venn diagram of those uh overlaps very strongly in the sci-fi department um you get robots that where this isn't an issue and then you get you know your your datas and your astro boys and your et cetera et cetera where, where it kind of comes up a lot um and uh, yeah, I, I think my examination of it in this video is probably better than the one in Robots because I had a lot more time to think about it. I was coming at it from an angle of like specifically the dynamic with humanity rather than just robots are cool, right? Let's talk about Transformers a little bit. Wee! Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I had a lot of fun with this one. Um, and I, as I was writing the script, I was like, wow, finally an outlet for all that philosophy that I slept through in college. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like I don't remember anything about Kant and Hegel, but I remember the philosophical zombie. Oh <laughs> uh, boy, there's not much to remember about Kant and Hegel. <laughs> That's validating. Uh, but yeah, uh, having was... suffered through modern philosophy uh, very, very tediously and painfully, yeah, mm -hmm. I, th there's a lot that I'm just like, okay, there's there's some stuff that that people pull from this and make useful later, but in its current form, there's nothing here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, but this one was a uh, it was a fun little ride, and I had a good time with it. And uh, I'm not gonna say go watch TNG, but if you want to, <laughs> have fun with it, and only watch the data episodes. If it's a data centric episode, it is guaranteed to be good. They're all good. The the most toys is actually a really really good data episode. So if you if you start with any of them, do that one. Ballin. Hell yeah. All right. That was a, uh, a fun little slate of, of videos last week, but I think uh, we are about ready. Uh, we don't have anything to announce. Um, we will have something to announce on the next episode. <laughs> so stay tuned stay for tuned. our next couple of videos. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, uh, let's move right along to the Q&A portion of the podcast. Heck yeah. Today's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast is brought to you by World Anvil. World Anvil is a browser-based writing and world-building software designed to help you write and world-build as well as GM and play tabletop role-playing games, all while keeping your work organized and in one space. With over 25 article templates, plus 45 supported game systems, and the ability to make your own, World Anvil has all the tools you need to organize that world you've been building in your mind. They've got adaptable wikis, interactive maps, custom timelines, and the Chronicle system, which combines the beautiful organizational power of timelines and maps to plot out events across time and space. Great for writers and GMs alike. Once your world is sorted exactly how you like, you can use the powerful built-in word processor to write your prose within easy reach of all your notes, or use your custom character sheets right in your tabletop game so you can get lost in your character without losing track of items or spells. Interested? Of course you are! And it only gets better because World Anvil is offering a special discount for all you lovely listeners. Just use code OverlySarcastic for up to 40% off any yearly membership. Thank you again to World Anvil for sponsoring today's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. This is the Q&A section of that show. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Off to a roaring start. Uh, this is the Q&A. Yeah. <laughs> 
This is the Q&A section of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord. This first question comes from one of our lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, support the channel, consider becoming a patron for a chance to have your question read first on a future episode. This question comes from the Ashen One, Two Blue, who, in your opinion, is the worst slash least saintly pope in history? Oh. Least saintly pope in history. Um... It Who's would be easy for me to, yeah, to point to Boniface, who had a guy killed. Um, that's pretty unpope-like, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty, because Celestine V retired. Uh, what is your first decree? I want to be allowed to quit. What is your second decree? I quit. One of my favorite <laughs> lines I've ever written. Um, and then Boniface is like, ah, a loose end. I kill. Uh, <laughs> oh my yeah, assassinating your predecessor is... Bleh. I think he got his Sith handbook and his Pope handbook mixed up that day. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also Innocent the Third is like canonically in hell, I think, for a reason I can't pull off the top of my head. Um, he was pretty uh, iffy. Uh, is, was he the guy who had a guy exhumed and tried, on. or was he the guy who was like exhumed and tried as a corpse? I, uh, they kind of get a little mixed in. Hold so on. Boniface I'm, I'm bad. This up. Uh... Um, I think Boniface was also killed by the King of France afterwards because he was the last guy before the Avignon papacy. So that was a whole. I, I'm I'm pulling back my Pope fights one knowledge here. Uh, pope Julius II was just kind of like a dick. Um, because he started a whole bunch of wars for almost no reason and like completely bankrupted the Vatican. Uh, but he is responsible for the entire Vatican City tourism circuit because the new St. Peter's Basilica, um, the fresco in the Sistine Chapel, the Vatican museums, um, and one other thing is just completely him. So it's like, oh God, he sucks. But like the, the entire tourism circuit is, is, is his whole thing. So I, I, I hate him, but I, I can't fault him. Um, I gotta oh go for Boniface. Getting a guy killed like that's that is absolutely sinful <laughs> in the purest definition. Innocent the Third has a very long Wikipedia page. Uh, yeah, he had he, a lot of other stuff going on too. He does uh, seem to have been uh, well. He he was big into the Crusades. Um, uh, yeah, he what was, were his years? Oh, uh, hold on. Uh, he was uh, 1161 to 1216. That oh, might yeah, he was the life. Third Crusade Pope. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he also... Oh, and the Fourth Crusade. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. when you have two <laughs> Crusades under your belt, you might have a bit of a Crusade problem. Uh, he also... Uh, Crusaders convened... innocent as an outlier and should not be considered. <laughs> uh, he convened the Fourth uh, Lateran Council... Uh, the most important church council of the Middle Ages. It issued 70 reformatory degrees, of which Canon 69 uh, meant that uh, Jews <laughs> nice. weren't allowed to have public office oh, since that nice. offers them the pretext to vent their wrath against the <laughs> Christians. God damn it. Blue, you walked into it. <laughs> I'm so sorry that Canon 69 is the opposite of nice. Damn you, Pope Innocent III. Uh. Also, like, I... Let me is this just because, like, I I don't get this whole Pope thing, but I feel like calling yourself innocent is like, this is Pope just a little guy, and also <laughs> it's his birthday. He couldn't do any crimes. Like It's like <laughs> the mafia defense where it's like, I'm a legitimate businessman. Pope, legitimate Pope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <sighs> yeah. Great. I, so Boniface <laughs> and Innocent, those two suck pretty bad. <laughs> Damn you, Innocent the Third. 
Well, we've got questions that don't suck so much, so let's move on yeah. to those. Uh, <laughs> uh, this comes from Atalanta. Ooh. To all, one god, goddess, or deity falls in love with you. Who would you want it to be, based solely on risk level to your general health and well-being? So, oh, yeah, I was going to say, deity <laughs> falls no in love winning. with you. Which one is the least likely to result in your uh, eternal torment and/or death? Uh, if I was a Tumblr user, I'd say Hades. Eden, <laughs> <laughs> uh, goddess, uh, uh, goddess, guardian of the uh, apples Ooh. of eternal life in Norse mythology. Yeah. Uh, she's a no drama bitch. She gets kidnapped one time, and everyone goes to rescue her. Uh, and all of her, uh, it's heavily implied that the dwarves are her brothers. This doesn't really Ooh. come up, but like they're all son, uh, sons and daughters of Ivaldi. Uh, so you'd have the coolest in-laws and uh, it would all, it would work out great, I think. And also I get to live forever because of the aforementioned apples of immortality. So <laughs> win, win, win. I feel nice. like the muses are pretty unproblematic mythologically speaking. Mm. So that might be a pretty safe option. Yeah. But you'd be jockeying with Apollo because he's kind of like head of that polycule. It's like a whole thing. Like it's a it's a it's a fucking yeah, mess. Yeah, that's also bad. You yeah. know, you're right. Yeah, uh, that puts no you. Winning. Oh god. The Greek pantheon is categorically just stay out. It's never the good. Apollos are not okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, oh, trying to think of literally Apollo without all the letters in aloe. Problematic. <laughs> I mean, like, I feel like, I don't know, I don't know, maybe I'm not well-versed enough in myth, but does, like, Hestia stay in her lane pretty well? <laughs> I feel yeah, like... Hestia doesn't yeah. really have any myths about her. She seems to have just played a foundational role in the actual religious practices of daily life in ancient Greece, because she was I in with every hearthfire. I good with her teens. I feel like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, She's cool. Call her up by going lighting the fireplace. Purely yeah. by, like, ability to survive the story that you are now in, that's probably my answer. I feel like it's got to be the answer, you know? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. In Great. terms of fun I think factor, we're all making Dionysus. So that's not the question. <laughs> Actually, uh... Here for a good time, not a long time. Yeah, baby. Hooking up with Dionysus, if I recall correctly, has historically gone pretty well. Uh, he has an actual wife, Ariadne. Mm. Uh, so, you know, maybe I don't they're want to do like a thrubble thing. You know? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I'm about to Google something that is going to be very, very difficult to explain. Uh... <laughs> Damn it, I was right. Dionysus did invent the dildo in honor of a dead person who wanted to be his lover. Oh, no. Hmm. Uh, so, sorry for Googling Dionysus dildo myth. <laughs> <laughs> Write an apology note to your FBI agent. Uh, <laughs> this next question uh, comes from... Simness, uh, a shepherd living near the reputedly bottomless Alcyonian Lake, the only bottomless thing around there. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, this next question is completely unrelated. It comes from Wolfheart. Two red, how many tank tops is too many tank tops? And why is the answer there's no such thing as too many tank tops? There's literally no such thing as too many tank tops. Uh, it's it's great. Laundry day gets postponed further and further. You can buy them in a six pack at Target. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, the only the only too many t tank tops is when you stop being able to store all of them conveniently, by which I mean wad it up in yeah. a drawer. <laughs> This question comes from Not Kent. To all, how long does it take to make each of the videos in each of your main video series, i.e., History Makers, Miscellaneous Myths, Journey to the West, etc.? So, what's like the timing of the different series, I guess, in terms of like how long you are actually making that video? This is an right, impossible well, to go first to on this one. <laughs> yeah, you actually have a workflow. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I tried to do 
videos like non-linearly where I have multiple things running at once and I just can't I I cannot have multiple plates spinning it drives me insane I, I get mm -hmm. so anxious so I all of my videos I do like one in a row to the other to the other to the other so from start to finish it's usually just a smidge under two weeks if I don't have like other extraneous bullshit happening in my life, like random workers coming into the house to do something uh, or like, you know, travel or, or whatever. So usually it's like, like three or four days just of straight like research and then writing the script um, a few days for the visuals, whether it's like making like maps and icons and then putting everything in order, um, you know, half a day for recording and audio editing, and then, you know, a day or a day and a half for the editing and like thumbnail description, uploading all that kind of stuff, Patreon posts and, and that. So it's usually like, like a week and a half to two weeks, depending on whether it's a longer or a shorter video and how much other stuff like answering emails and work logistics and sorting out like pin strategies and stuff like that and coordinating with our, our friends at Crowdmade. Um, however much of that will will infect the, uh, <laughs> the work week time wise. It's usually just about a little under two weeks. So it's very hard to build up a buffer. Because <laughs> yeah. it's usually, it takes as much time from episode to episode as how much it takes me to make each episode to episode. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I do the exact opposite of that. Uh, I typically have four or five video files in progress at any given time. So like audios recorded, they're being cut together, that sort of thing. Uh, I have more scripts that I work on in the background. So currently I have, I want to say four, mm, yeah, I think it's, it's about that many videos in progress and two scripts that I'm working on to record in the next batch. Uh, for a general idea of how this often looks, uh, the video that's my next video that's going up, which is going to go up on July fourteenth. Seventeenth. Seventeenth. Is that correct? Yeah. I think sorry. So. Sorry. I don't remember how July works. Uh, <laughs> I hope uh, so. Otherwise, I told Crad made the wrong number. Oh no! <laughs> you might want to double check that because the seventeenth is a Monday. Oh, it shoot. is indeed the fourteenth. That's okay. Oh no! <laughs> All right. Well, while you compose I a quick little them email, the number. It's okay. We'll fix that. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you well you drop them a quick little email. Uh, the audio recording for that I recorded February twenty seventh, uh, based on a script that I had been working on for probably several weeks before that, just to get all my research intact to get through the reading. Uh, so that video had about a seven month turnaround time front to back. Uh, but because I'm working on so many things at once, this does not turn into seven months between videos. Um, so I currently have two videos done and buffered. I'm working on a slideshow for a detailed diatribe that's gonna be my first video in August probably. Um, so it's it's entirely nonlinear and it doesn't really register to me as taking that much time. Cause you know, the time passes anyway, I just sort of fill it up with stuff. Um, I think the longest turnaround time I've had in a, on like a single video was something like two years for the saga of Gretir between when oh I yeah. kind of got the assignment and when I actually made it happen. Um, so it, it can take me a while, but you know, I, I sort of, 
the way I work is that uh, my, my brain doesn't like to focus on any one thing for a prolonged period of time with no breaks. So if I do that, I will, you know, my brain will make me take breaks. It'll be like, all right, I'm done with this. Let's do something else. So if I basically fill the empty spaces of any one project with other projects, uh, I avoid being bored. And also I get a fuck ton of stuff done. Uh, and I manage to sort of keep up the uh, once every two weeks um, <laughs> upload thing, which, uh, which works really nicely. Uh, so, so yeah, I hope you liked Blue's real answer and my non-answer. <laughs> yeah, it just shows there's a lot of different ways stuff can get done. Because it's not like you were spending two years only working on the one project, like you said. Certainly You're, you're flipping between many, many different things. So, yeah, it, it's just two yeah. different strategies for how to approach a bunch of projects. Oh, uh, the podcast yeah. takes like a day because we record on Mondays and then it goes up on Wednesdays. So it just has <laughs> yeah. to be done. <laughs> yeah. So, essentially, for both Red and I, the answer is it takes a short enough amount of time for us to maintain an every other week upload schedule and no faster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it basically, you know, the amount of complexity we put into it kind of fills the space that we have, I think. Like we yeah. we do the 80% rule of polish, but I know that if we had if we did like 3 weeks instead of 2, we'd fill that last week with we'd something. Fill it. Yeah. We we'd would. Fill it. I'd make the um, videos longer. <laughs> you definitely would make the videos longer. <laughs> Uh, well, this next question comes from Evie to Blue. I want to get into studying history, but I don't know where to start. Do you have any advice? That is a fantastic question. Um, <laughs> my answer will be colored by the fact that I did not uh, intend to start studying history. Uh, <laughs> I showed up wanting to do economics uh, in college, and then I transitioned to classical studies, and then transitioned specifically into history only after graduating so like my degree is not in history it's in classical civilization so mm -hmm. focusing on you know all the stuff that i talk about you know like literature language culture philosophy uh mythology history um and and you know the things that i do but i am i am not a trained historian with a degree in history so my my answer will be colored by that fact but as far as what to do to get into history, I guess, do I interpret this as like for college? Does that make the most sense? It might be that they just want to research. Uh, yeah, it sounds like you know, it's just a interest. History on their own. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess then some if you're just interested in it, in it casually. Yeah, I got, got some birds out here. That was uh, the I'd say bird. just, it was very, very chirpy. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say go to your local library or, um, bookstore but yeah, library um library. just pick something off the shelf that seems interesting and give it a whirl and and get the experience of of reading for for fun and, and learning about things on your own time because if you can find yourself compelled enough to sit and read or i guess watch you know there, there are good documentaries out there although there are a lot <laughs> there are a lot more bad documentaries oh i heard the guy who are... makes those good documentaries has an eight pack or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but uh i'd say get familiar with the experience of just kind of like, you know, reading the stuff for fun. And if you enjoy that, you know, like read a primary source, read a, a modern, uh, more, you know, approachable general overview of, of a topic that covers a lot of different things and then go into like, oh, I really want to read this ancient author or, you know, whatever. Um, get that experience and see if you like it because if you were to do history more, a lot of your experience is going to be a lot of that reading and going into primary sources and, um, reading these kinds of like, you know, more modern scholarship style overviews. And if that doesn't jive with you, 
history is going to be rough <laughs> to you. So I'd say yeah. uh, try that and see how you like it, because it is really a lot of fun to, to dig into different civilizations and explore the past in that way. Um, it also makes travel a lot more fun when you know what you're looking at when you go places. Yes, but yeah. I'd say start with books. And then if that if that does it for you, then then you can look more specifically into like historical programs at your high school or, you know, AP classes or whatever it may be. And then, you know, historical programs at potential universities, whether that's a four year traditional, you know, undergrad university or it's a community college, you know, anything works. Uh, if you're learning and you're excited, that that counts. So, mm-hmm. uh yeah. yeah. I, uh, um, <clears throat> I got a little curious because it was very funny to me to see you go from like, yeah, I'll do like economics or something to like philosophy to like, oh, shit, history is so interesting because I've just found <laughs> exactly which muse obviously got you in a headlock. Uh, it's Cleo, the muse Cleo. of history. Yep. Yes. Yep. <laughs> oh, Inescapable. baby. Yeah. Yeah. And to offer completely unsolicited non-historian advice, um, I didn't find studying history at all interested until it became part of my uh, Chinese degree in college. And I was like, wait, this area of the world is really fascinating to study, actually. So maybe just find a little spot that interests you if you're not yeah. too keen on like the big yeah. picture stuff. So it's a little less intimidating to start tackling. Yes. Um, but As someone who uh, read The Guns of August over summer vacation in seventh grade and hated every second of it, uh, history is very, very hard to get through unless you're interested in at least one part of it. If you have a foothold, mm-hmm. the history yeah. becomes so fascinating because everything is interconnected. So like, I only find history interesting in the context of contextualizing the myths I research and how they develop. I think that's very fun. And that makes it possible for me to research history that I could not get through at the time. So... Yeah. Basically just seconding what Indigo uh, said. (laughs) Yeah. I've also had a lot of experiences where I try to get into a topic and I'm like, oh, oh, this just isn't doing it for me at all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I I, I work and dig and I kind of like like scrape around to see what's hiding beneath the uh, the surface of the topic. And I'm like, oh, no, this is really cool. There's interesting stuff here. But sometimes I'll, I'll start up on a topic where I just have absolutely no anchor for it. And I'm like, oh, I'm... Uh, I'm going to need to work to not be bored because it's, I'm just <laughs> feeling nothing right now and that's bad. And then, of course, yeah. I, I learn more and I find something that's like, oh, this is really interesting. And I, I, I find myself grabbed eventually. But it, it may just be that some topics do not click with you at all. And mm-hmm. that's OK. Every, every professional historian has a topic that just completely does not connect with them in any way. Yeah. Yeah. Just trial and error till you find one. Look at some book spines. Be like, oh, that seems neat. That's a good place to start as any. Um, This question comes from Aaron. To all, favorite pizza toppings? Oh, pepperoni. Yeah, I was going to say. I'm a pretty basic bitch when it comes to pizza. I like a simple slice. (laughs) Pepperoni. I've been coming around on veggie pizzas a lot recently. Um, Not a huge fan of olives, but other than that, can't really go wrong. I know it's not considered a topping, but like a really good margarita pizza with real mm. nice fresh basil. Ooh, buddy. Yeah, that's a, that's a topping variety. That counts yeah. in the context Because like, you would question. never order a basil pizza, but like Certainly if not. you get a good margarita pizza, you expect there to be basil on it, you know? Yeah. Pizza margaritas yeah. actually become my go-to recently uh, <laughs> just because I've been doing pepperoni only for so long. <laughs> 
I feel like yeah. when I want a pizza, it's so rarely do I gravitate to margarita just because I do want like the classic greasy like New York slice. But I do mm. like a good margarita pizza is a good pizza. You know, you're never going to take that. Um, yeah. A lot of places at the Jersey Shore do a tomato pie, which is like kind of a thick crust, no cheese situation. And those do rock, but they're only good cold and covered in sand. So I feel like those aren't <laughs> also maybe not toppings. Oh, my God. Oh, man. I, yeah, I had a cousin I, on the East Coast who uh, ordered uh, like fucking frozen like with ice packs uh lou malnati's deep dish pizza from chicago one time because he was like wow he was like i just i can't i can't get a solid inch of cheese anywhere on the eastern seaboard (laughs) yeah talking to mid-atlantic people about pizza is is really a trial (laughs) because they have the most hard set opinions about it and nothing you say will will do anything to assuage or convince them no (laughs) so i'm just like you know what we have our differences that's fine, uh, and I'm just I'm not gonna I'm not gonna partake in this this greasy mess that you guys call pizza. I understand it's traditional for you, but if I eat this, I will shit my pants and die. I medically cannot eat New York pizza medically. Oh, it is so greasy. I have medical issues that do not mix with that. Oh, but you gotta go to Stan's. He's got the best slice this side of the Bronx. Cyan is elsewhere in the room right now and is doing her absolute best to not cackle out loud. It's okay, darling, you can laugh. <laughs> There's something intrinsically funny about the phrase, shake your pants and die. It is. We gotta move this, on from this. This phrase was uh, said a lot oh, in, in company at VidCon because of someone uh, in our party who had a gluten intolerance, which was very funny. <laughs> and a certain um, ill-fated coffee order from yes, an otherwise inoffensive say, chain. I, not to put both oh of us God. on blast, but Blue and I both got food poisoning from the same coffee run, and there was... A certain vibe shift in the room when we both kind of came to the realization of what had happened. Like, oh no. And uh, oh, just no. To, to be clear, I also had a coffee from the same place and I was fine, so I don't know what the fuck happened. Yeah, Wait, we did yours have milk in it? Yeah, it was like a blended mint chocolate drink. It had milk out the hmm. wazoo, so I got had a milkshake, so it can't have been I that. basically had a milkshake. Well, <laughs> it's a mystery. Maybe I'm just we may built different, you know. Never anyway. solve. Uh, but yeah, that's been something of a running theme the last week that I personally would like to forget. <laughs> <laughs> next question, Indigo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next question. Another. <laughs> this question comes from Citrine Phylactery. To all, Ooh. when you have a long, repetitive task to do and you want to keep your brain busy, what do you do? Do you play music you can sing along to or put on videos for you to watch and listen to? So, like, if you have to do a long, repetitive task, do you have anything going in the background? Huh. It really depends, but broadly, yeah. Uh, The thing is, sometimes the long, repetitive task I have to do is audio editing. Yeah, I was going to say. That makes it very difficult to have background music, although I have had some luck with that. Um, But almost anything else, when I, like... When my brain is not cooperating and the coffee's not working for whatever reason, I will put on like a YouTube mix of just music I've been listening mm. to way too much and I will uh, let it run. And depending on how bad my headspace is, sometimes I'll just let it go and sometimes I'll sing along, uh, which is great because my YouTube mix is just absolutely incomprehensible. There's like Revengeance tracks in there. There's oh, fucking good, bits good. of the Death Note musical. It's just, it's buck wild, but uh, it, it works really well. Uh, and I'll lose entire hours of progress just doing that, which is uh, how you know it's working. 
Hmm. Yeah, I I almost can't do anything um, while I'm writing or reading that involves like lyrics. So any music with words, not a mm. chance. Um, of course, audio editing, I can't do anything else in the background. And, and editing, editing is is pretty dodgy because I'm I'm also playing with audio at that point, even though I'm I'm not like making sure my levels and my my balance and my you know breaths are are are, are proper and cut out and, and whatever the editing requires. But I've had a lot of luck with when I need to motivate myself, just putting on some Mario Kart music because it's that um, like really like charge forward, energetic, keep you moving kind of uh, vibe to the tunes. Oh yeah. I'll also sometimes when you've uh, when you've been on the channel account, I'll spot like one hour Zelda study mix and I'm like, ah, oh, Blue's been here. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Ah, yeah. Blue uploaded a video um, and forgot to I, sign out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I edit uh, audio for a living, so I almost never have an opportunity to do anything except listen to the audio that I'm listening to in any given moment. And same kind of goes for when I'm doing YouTube video, but I did used to work for a very corporate company as a video editor where what people were saying did not necessarily matter. The only thing that mattered is that PowerPoint slides transitioned at the right time. So I get these like 40 minute long presentations basically that I had to go through and just like double check all the transitions on, which did not involve listening. And my go-to thing to do in the background was to watch procedurals like half out of the corner of my eye. Mm. And in the course of working for this company for like a year and a half, I think I watched all of Criminal Minds, like 16 seasons of NCIS, like, <laughs> all of uh, Lucifer, and I want to say oh, there was, boy. I think I did a bunch of the X-Files also. So, you know, something repetitive, <laughs> something that you can really zone out and zone back into. Oh, all of Elementary also happened Oh, yeah, this time. yeah, I was going to mm, say. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Something where, like, every episode is the same, so if you zone out a little bit midway to, like, do a little bit of tweaking to whatever you're working on, and then have to, you can zone back out um, is always yep. my go-to. Now, if I'm doing something around the house that's repetitive, like if I'm cleaning my kitchen or something, I'm going to just throw on a playlist or a podcast. But uh, yeah, most of my day-to-day work is not of the variety where I can do anything except focus entirely on on it, which is my eternal bane because until we invent (laughs) the technology for me to do fine audio editing and also listen to music, I will be permanently trapped in my own circle of hell. Yeah, it really does. uh, it, It does depend on the situation too. Like when I'm trying to just get from point A to point B, Sorry, when like when I'm like traveling somewhere and I need something to to go on in the background, I've been working my way through the like 50-hour audiobook of The Count of Monte Cristo and honestly, that's the best way to read that book. <laughs> like it it ends up feeling like an episodic uh like a soap opera that you're tuning in for very very slowly. Uh much better than trying to read that brick. Uh, it's it's so fun and it does a really good job of just making the time fly by because like you'll you'll start it and then you'll be like oh my god I, I can't believe Monsieur Noirtier has revealed that he killed his granddaughter's uh, husband to be's father that's crazy and then you're where you're going so like it it just works mm-hmm. great um, but you can't really do that when I'm like trying to write anything or when I'm trying to draw frames that have dialogue or. Basically, language part of brain cannot be engaged in language processing when I am also trying to use it to write. So it yep. limits the uh, the stuff I can listen to. Yeah. It's a big part of how people usually recommend if you're going to like study the music, make it like instrumental or something without words. It's a pretty exactly. common phenomenon of like brain can't process two inputs at once if they both say words at you. So like, you know, adjust accordingly. Um, I sometimes had good luck with listening to music that was in a different language than the stuff I was reading, but then that became an issue when I listened to, like, 
music in Mandarin while reading something in English, but I understand oh. exactly enough Mandarin to be able to catch like every other <laughs> sentence of the song. It's like, this is also not working. So, you oh, know, that would cross the wires like, whoa, approach with caution. Yes. Um, but we got time for one more question here before we sign off for the day. So this one uh, is, as usual, Red's five minute warning to have to do mm-hmm. the outro. Oh, yeah, sure. This one comes from Maxolotl. To all, if you had a small animal that controlled your actions via your hair, like in Pixar's Ratatouille, what creature would it be and what skill would it have? Oh, my God. First of all, I want to say this is one of my favorite questions we've ever received. (laughs) Yeah. Maxolotl, that's genius. I love it. Maxolotl, Um, great name. Amazing question. 10 out of 10. No notes. Uh, But yeah, so you have a small animal controlling. So presumably something that has to be able to fit under a hat. Whatever size hat is up to you. Um, Mm. But they are controlling your actions and they are very good at some skill. (laughs) My first instinct like the first visual that popped into my head is some sort of like frog or toad mm, uh, yes. just kind of chilling up there um although a bird would also be very funny because it would only have the feet yeah. to work with <laughs> i'm imagining like a bird that just steers me towards bread at any no. given opportunity <laughs> oh i'm a genius it's <laughs> not I've a just skill got it. it's just commandeered me (laughs) i don't want to answer for indigo but i love the visual of a bird that makes me good at skateboarding a kind of tony hawk if you will (laughs) all right oh my god do my job for me why don't you (laughs) well i'm just thinking like if it can only control me with the feet it's like all right it's it's control is limited but for skateboarding really all i need yeah i'm completely on board with this and i am going to be using that as my answer Uh, i would like a small bird to control me at skateboarding (laughs) Oh All my god, I need that fan art on my doing like, <laughs> Just doing kickflips. Yeah, it's tiny little feet are just doing kickflip trips, and then it just <laughs> translates into human scale. There's yeah, a little, exactly. Uh, there was a game I played for the special a while ago. I went through like an indie games phase where I was just like, what's like the five dolleriest games I can acquire <laughs> this week? Um, one of them was a bird skateboarding game that basically had this Oh yeah, Skatebird? Skatebird, yeah. It was, it was fun. It was a fun little game. I enjoyed it. Okay, cool. Cool, check oh it out. My god. I liked making my little bird. I liked making my little bird do tricks. Is it the most groundbreaking game I've ever played? No. Did it deliver on the promise of birds who skateboard? Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, uh, I would like Tony Hawk to, you know. I guess in this case, I'm picturing like a sparrow that just goes by Tony Hawk or something, though, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Probably got bullied by the other birds for not actually being a hawk. Yeah. You know, there's a tragic backstory in there. I, well, dang it. I gave the best answer to somebody else. Now what I gotta do? (laughs) (laughs) Um... Finally, my prophetic dreams come in handy. I'm imagining like a little executive function toad that just sits mm. on my head and is like, you haven't stood up in three hours. It's just hours. the most zen toad of all time. Yeah. And it only is there to, its special skill is self-care. Yeah, it'll just like <laughs> like stand me up and like make me like do a little like yoga, walk me over, get some water, uh, you know. A, it's like I can make the most relaxing bubble bath of all time happen right now. <laughs> <laughs> Or it'll just be like, it's floor time now. Yeah. We're going to be on the floor. <laughs> the soothing croaks of the toad. It's I'm really enjoying this world we're creating here. <laughs> I th- Again, this is my, maybe my favorite question I've ever read on this book. <laughs> Blue, is there a... What, what are we thinking animal-wise? Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. I could see All you I'm going thinking for of like... Is like small animals trying to control me to get the food that they want. So it's like <laughs> a tiny bird that steers me towards bread, as I mentioned earlier, like a very tiny bear that makes me seek out honey. Like this isn't imparting skills. It's just making me a vessel to acquire their snacks. That's well, this all does my make brain sense. will volunteer right now. 
You have a cat, so I mean, like I that is kind of yeah. how this works. Just I'm also like imagining like a small cat that like will like need some biscuits in my head, and then it makes me do karate. But the, the cat can't be that <laughs> small. Cats are usually larger than that. No, no, guy. I really like this idea. Let, let's let's roll with it. I like the idea of like a really like a little kitten or something that maybe doesn't even know that it's making you do karate. It's like that. Uh, <laughs> it's like that. It's like that Jackie Chan movie where he gets a tuxedo that makes him good at the kung tuxedo. Kung <laughs> the tuxedo. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's it's like that, but so like neither you nor the cat understand how this is happening. <laughs> um, I do conceptually like love this idea. I like the idea of the cat eventually grows up and now it just like stands on your shoulders, but the controls still function pretty similarly. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes back for the sequel, obviously. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. I guess it would just be perched on my shoulder instead of like in my hat, Ratatouille style. Yeah, and then you can use the tail but, to sort of control as well. But now yeah. I'm curious about how this cat got this way. I'm thinking like escape government experiment. Cat's really good at making other people do kung fu but doesn't know it and just wants snacks my brain's been on the air butt of it all i'm like there's no rule that says a cat can't do karate so <laughs> i guess it could just be we could just accept this is one of the quotes of the universe this summer cat foo <laughs> we're just reinventing puss in boots again you guys this isn't grabber damn it <laughs> puss in boots uh, yeah. for media groundbreaking <laughs> yeah so I think that might be uh, that might be yeah. all I can conjure for I this, think this answer. Is Kung Fu Cat coming this summer. Yeah. All right, Red, take us away. <laughs> oh my God, I forgot somehow. Even though I was given the warning, uh, mm, we need a small all. animal that can do the outro for you. Sorry, my executive function toad thinks I should have some water and stretch. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another exciting episode, and we'll be back in the next couple Fridays for some extra exciting, fun videos. So stay tuned for those. Uh, other stuff is happening. When is Rolling with Difficulty coming back? Is that now? Uh, Friday of this week that this episode comes out. Perfect. So, yeah, so, uh, yeah for the continuing adventures of uh, D&D characters in space. Uh, have fun with that. It's back and stuff happens. Stay tuned for what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Interested? Of course you are. It's a perfect <laughs> promo. <laughs> Fuck. Okay. Uh, I think we're we're about good, right? That's like most no, of great. our bases. Great. Fantastic. <laughs> then until next time, I've been red. I've been blue. No notes. You nailed it. <laughs> Perfect. And this has been an overly sarcastic podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on July 19th with another thrilling installment, but if you miss us before then, be sure to check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube. Got a question for the pod? Head over to Ask OS Pod on Discord for a chance for your question to be featured in a future episode. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform, and if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Links to all that and more can be found in the show notes below, and thank you once again to World Anvil for sponsoring today's episode.